This is Gabriel Hesch from the Breaking Math Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Real quick, I'd like to mention that we have recently been working very, very hard on a new YouTube show. As perhaps mentioned in a previous episode, the Breaking Math team has joined up with physicist and science fiction author Dr. Alex Alanese to create a new YouTube show called the Touring Rabbit Holes Podcast, named after famed mathematician and father of modern computer science, Alan Turing. On this YouTube show, we talk about math and physics, of course, but we also talk about the quirky personalities of these mathematicians and other scientists, as well as things like the politics of their time, and we even discuss the political landscape of today, really all things related to human behavior. We also get to take full advantage of the visual aspect of YouTube. We can include fantastic graphics and visuals and things like mathematical diagrams or equations or pictures of relevant topics. It really adds an awesome new dimension to our discussion. Now, I have a favor to ask you. If you like what we are doing, if you support the show, and if you like the idea of us making a new YouTube show, please consider going to youtube.com slash touring rabbit holes podcast and subscribing to our channel. One of the markers of success on YouTube is subscriber count, but there's more. There's um, it, there's likes and there's comments and, and all kinds of, of interaction. And that is one way that you can really support us. At the time of me recording this message, we have 157 subscribers. So we are a baby channel, but we are very passionate about what we do. And we look forward to blossoming and becoming a, an awesome hub of intellectual discussion as it relates to mathematics and uh, physics and what it means to be human. So please consider going to our YouTube show and giving us a subscribe. Thank you very much. Without further ado, back to the episode. How does one earn a PhD in physics when raised in violence, poverty, and ignorance? In previous episodes of the Touring Rabbit Holes podcast, we have discussed scientific questions. What is consciousness? How is artificial intelligence something created by humans, both similar and different to human intelligence? We showed that current AI systems behave intelligently, like besting chess and Go champions, but are otherwise unconscious. Today, we're going to talk about something a little different. We're going to talk about socioeconomic challenge and science education. How much does one's zip code, where you're born, affect the odds of succeeding in STEAM, which is science, technology, engineering, arts, and math? You're going to be hearing a little bit about the backgrounds of your two hosts today. What's our story? What got us interested in science? Why am I, what, why do I identify as a science evangelist? We're going to talk all about that today and about what uh, converted us, I, I suppose. But above all, what challenges did we face? Given that, what do we have to say about science education and education in general in today's world? Now, I want to give you all a little bit of a content warning. We're going to talk about some very deep things today. Uh, we will be talking about um, domestic abuse that actually does play a role in our story, and that is a very serious topic. Uh, it's a very relevant topic, and it's a far more common occurrence than I think any of us would like it to be. And it certainly has a role in shaping who we are today. 
We will also be discussing post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. PTSD doesn't just hurt war veterans or their family. Um, it even puts everybody in, in danger, and it's a very real thing that a lot of us deal with in today's world. All of this and more in today's episode of the Touring Rabbit Holes podcast. Now, before we get into our episode in which we talk about our stories and our, our interest in science education, uh, we do have a little bit of an update that we'd like to share about COVID-19. Alex, I'll go ahead and give you the floor on this one. So this is a topic that we're going to be discussing towards the end of the episode, but this is a preview. And this is what foreign nationals bring to our country. I went to grad school uh, with uh, a young Italian. We were started, we started school at the exact same time. I finished my PhD about a year ahead of him. Since then, and he's been working very hard. He has a company named Excel Diagnostics, and he's based out of Houston. And he has this microfluidics, magnetic credit card looking thing, which is very good at testing for various kinds of proteins, etc. And he's been working his butt off to get this company going. And with COVID, I think they have a potential test coming up uh, as it goes through the regulatory processes, you know, uh, quite soon, potentially. And I just wanted to, to bring that, 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 you know, our country is made out of immigrants and that we bring a lot to it. Yes, actually, so many immigrants in our nation's history uh, have contributed greatly to the economy and to science in general. Albert Einstein was an immigrant. Um, Niels Bohr was an immigrant. Uh, so many, We could do an entire episode on the contributions of immigrants. Even uh, Steve Jobs' father was a Middle Eastern immigrant uh, to this country as well. And actually, um, we will have a, we'll even show a shot, a, um, a screenshot uh, of the website here on the show if you'd like to uh, see it yourself. It's uh, quite interesting, a new COVID-19 antibody test. So that's pretty exciting. Now, without further ado, we'll go ahead and get into uh, our, uh, our stories. Um, Alex, I want to thank you very much for this episode. I realize that this is a, a, a different kind of episode. Uh, you know, we typically get really into the technical details of things. So to convey a story that is part of our identity uh, re requires us to uh, think a little differently. And the fact that you're going to share your story, and of course, I'm, I'm, I'm going to share mine as well. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for that. And um, I... I uh, Hope that this will serve as inspiration for people who may have perhaps, um, you know, may have experienced something similar or even has a different type of struggle, but, you know, is still interested in um, making the most out of their lives and uh, in interested in STEM education. So without further ado, I'll go ahead and uh, um, go to you. So this is um, some reading I'll be doing. I'll try to keep it light and quick. Um, as you know from these episodes, I have a doctoral degree in particle physics, and uh, well, I haven't introduced my wife. She's an attorney at Sandia National Laboratories, and she deals with export control and uh, international uh, traffic and arms regulations uh, and, and many things at Sandia National Laboratories. And so I, I, at this point in my life, you know, I, we, my family is extremely successful by many metrics. And uh, for instance, our eldest daughter, She's a beginning junior in college, and she's very passionate about dealing with climate change and dealing it. She, she wants to work as a corporate scientist, possibly. And she, 
as a freshman, immediately, you know, within her first week, tapped into uh, professional societies over there. She found a professor and started doing research. And she has scholarships right now from NOAA, which is the National Oceanographic and uh, Atmospheric Administration. Uh, she would have been in uh, Puerto Rico if it hadn't been for COVID doing research over there. She's a member of uh, what's the Circle K International. She's an officer of, of that club that, that tries to you know, uh, promote education and, 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 and awareness of the climate and other things like that. And you know, she's already being mentored. She's got a mentor already uh, lining her up for, for a potential grad school. Interesting. So real quick, obviously, with, with uh, you know, you've told me the story before. Mm. Uh, your daughter has a lot of support around her. Uh, her experience is a little bit different than your experience growing up, which I know that we're going to get to. But mm-hmm. this is an interesting contrast in this episode. And so I'm going to I will definitely contrast that. And, and just to set the reference, um, I, I, again, I, I work for the Air Force and I, I get to do a lot of uh, research that that I'm interested in. And I also get to coordinate with other junior scientists and with, uh, you know, other folks in the, in the military industrial community, as I, as I like to call it. And so I, I'm really enjoying my life at this point, and I'm really enjoying working for the Air Force and, and, and trying to bring the future forward and keep, keep the peace, so to speak. Yeah, awesome. So the title of, of, of today's episode is, How Does One Earn a PhD in Physics When Raised in Violence, Poverty, and Ignorance? We'd like to ponder that question and related questions as you share your story with us. We invite you to ponder these questions as we share our background and why we are here today. I know I've said that uh, a few times, but uh, again, that's an ongoing theme here. It's an ongoing theme about personal struggles and uh, how people can find success in, in their life, and in this case, especially in science. Right. So... My earliest memories, they go back to, to Italy. I was born on an Air Force base in Arizona, and we flew off to Italy. And uh, to go back a little bit further, I will say that my father was an airman in Washington State, and he was guarding, of all things, nuclear bombers, which is kind of funny because I'm in the nuclear business, as, as is my wife. And he met my mother there, and she was there with her, with her many siblings and her parents, and, and they had come from Mexico seasonally. Uh, to do migrant work, and um, her education at that point did not extend beyond uh, elementary school. In fact, I don't think she finished elementary school. My father, he eventually finished his high school diploma in the Air Force because I guess they required it at some point. Um, He ended up going to uh, the Vietnam War. He was embedded with a United Nations group of uh, Republic of Korea uh, soldiers, and he was with one other GI. And his job was forward air controller. And what that is is you, you go out into the, the jungles of Vietnam and you quietly sneak up on the enemy. You, you try to make contact. When you do, you pick up your radio and you call in airstrikes for, for napalm airstrikes. What I was told was that the Koreans, would, I mean the Vietnamese forces, the, the VC, would be quiet until detected. Then they had nothing to lose. They'd fight back. So he saw a lot of uh, uh, stuff out there. <sighs> my earliest memories are of domestic violence. And I, and I think, you know, there was always a yelling and things flying and, you know, hurting my mom. When he came back from the war, it, it, was, it, was, it was worse. And, and I think a part of it had to do not only with the combat that he saw, but and, and I, there are these photos of, of my father with this five-year-old Vietnamese little girl, and I was five years old at the time. 
And the idea there was he was sending letters home is the idea is that we were going to adopt her and get her out of an orphanage. I, I, it may have been a Catholic orphanage. And my memories, which may be wrong, is that she did not survive. And um, all I have left of, of proof of these memories is my father, when he passed away, left behind his military papers, and I found the international adoption papers. Um, so how much of it's in my mind manufactured, I don't know. And I have no idea how life would have been if I had had a five-year-old sister. She'd be 54 years old at the moment. So back home, it was anything. It was the, a sudden noise or, or no reason at all. You know, he would go into these... He'd be in his own world, and he'd be violent. And he'd lash out at objects, but if you were near enough and you got caught in it, he, you know, he, you get pretty hurt yourself. And he, he, you know, he, my mom took the brunt of that. And, you know, I, I, quickly I, I became protector. I became the protector of, of my mother. My sister would not be born for another seven years. And, and I have these vivid memories of going out to the park with the family on a weekend and something terrible going wrong and having he goes to the car and we go and hide behind a tree because, well, he's going to charge at us with the car. And, 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 it, and it keeps up this way. And... You know, uh, old age eventually got to them, and they started to slow down, as my father. But by the time I turned 16, um, you know, my father was at that time a captain for sheriff's department. I, I, there were three events, there were three times in my life when I thought, well, you know, this is it. This is the day that I'm going to die. I, th I, was, I think I was 16 years old. We were, I was, what had started off as a normal drive with my father, but something went wrong. And he's, he grabbed me, and he, and he starts bashing my head, and the accelerometer goes, and we're swerving, and we're on a highway, and he's yelling at me. And, and, and I just remember thinking to myself, uh, um, rather, how, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, resigned, that, well, this is it. This is, this is where uh, the story ends. And so, let's see, let me get onto this. What I want to bring to this episode is you know, that's a lot of strikes, right? That's a lot of strikes against a person. You know, you, I, you know, I did not come from educated parents. I did come from a lot of physical violence. And if you look at the literature today, any one of these factors and others contribute to failure. And so I ended up skipping out of high school. The story is my, when my father retired, he, he went to go get his RN. I was in the seventh grade. He had to learn algebra. I was learning algebra. I tutored him. I thought what the hell am I doing in this junior high school you know, playpen? And so I, I decided to, to try to go to college. I was very fortunate. I had a, 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 a young woman. She was na she's, her name was Michelle. I'll leave it at that. Her father was a professor at the local college, and, and she listened to me. Her brother was similar to me. I think he was already taking classes at the local college. And so she talked to her father about me, and I was able to skip out of high school and go and, and, and start my life. I ended up serving as an Air Force officer and getting my MS in math and PhD in physics. And my initial pursuit of physics was completing Einstein's dream. He, he was looking for a final theory. And ironically, to my delight, there are no final theories. There is just theories that extend from the experimental edge. And um, go ahead, please. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's... Um so I was a, a science teacher and also a, I was a kindergarten teacher and a middle school teacher. And, um, you know, as a teacher, you see a variety of different backgrounds. And right now I need to say I am absolutely in awe 
you know, you, you, you talk about this background that you had, you know, at, at a home with a father who clearly had PTSD and you had a lot of unpredictability. Um, just the, the likelihood of you even going to college at all. I mean, I, I can't really do this, but I'm trying to put myself in, in those shoes. And I, I, I think I would have just checked out, you know, I, I wouldn't have even been interesting. So that's a part of the story that's, that's, that, um, I, I'd, I'd like you to tell a little bit more on like, what what was it given your background and you know given the the wildly unpredictable childhood you had where you weren't sure if you were going to make it out what was it that made you say yes i am going to do this and i'm going to study math and 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 science or anything at all for that matter yeah i when i when i when i go back and think about that that was an incredibly exciting period of human history i remember the moment that uh, humanity, our, our you know, representatives, men in this case, landed on the moon. And, and I remember being drawn to Star Trek, and I've seen so many biographies of engineers and successful scientists going, that was the show that got me started. So there was Star Trek. Of course, there was the United States Air Force. And okay. you know, for all my father's flaws, he, he loved the Air Force, and he loved, he, every once in a while he'd bring me in and I'd see all the gadgets and, and uh, for, for, for controlling aircraft. And I was, okay. I was very, uh, I had that example. I had the example of Italy. And for, again, for all that was going on in terms of PTSD, this was a man who loved opera and who loved his time in Italy and who loved classical art while my mother was teaching herself to read English and become an English speaker. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, when you're sharing a story, there's just so many elements of what makes a person, you know, who they are. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to get a better understanding of this. So he sounds like he certainly was uh, a man who valued culture. And uh, despite your upbringing, you still certainly had an appreciation for the Air Force and for science and technology and for human development. So so he lived in the library. He would bring back books and he would bring back Descartes and Pascal. And so I, I had that okay. as an example. So, so I attribute it to maybe a, a natural part of me that was just... I wanted to order the universe, and like I said, complete Einstein's okay. dream. Interesting. And what, what's interesting to me, and just as an, a, a quick aside, is the way I see physics is we have the experimental edge and the models that, that, that describe it fairly well. And then the mathematicians come with lots of degrees of freedom, and they expand to what might be possible. Mm -hmm. And then you know, experiment stretches out, and you go, oh, all those were nice math, but, but here's where physics goes. And I see that as a, as a process that may never end. And, and, and I think that that's more beautiful than, than possibly finding a final theory. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy with my understanding of physics at the moment. Wow. Interesting. Man, that's, that's, there's a lot more to say about that, about everything, um, about, you know, your experiences with your father with PTSD and, uh, you know, just obviously domestic abuse. There's, there's just, there's so much to that story. And there's, you know, I think about, I was not around, you know, back then. So I, I, I don't have a lot to say about how that, those kind of things were talked about in society, you know, how society acknowledged it and or dealt with it. I do hear about that as a teacher this day and age, and we are actually taught to look for signs of abuse. Uh, may I ask, from your memory, you know, was that something that was talked about publicly back no, when you were growing absolutely up? absolutely not. Of course not. Okay. And it was a very uh, Air Force. It was, and I, and I knew that I wanted to join the Air Force, and I knew that I wanted to be an astronaut, which, the, you know, that path didn't happen. I did, I did the Air Force. 
And so it was, you admit no fault, you admit no weakness. So no, absolutely not. Ah, interesting. And, and one last point I'd like to add to why I think I became a physicist and why, and more than a physicist, ultimately interested in, in how intelligence works at the, at, at the human level and mm-hmm. at the grand society level with countries and stock markets that are composed of many actors, including machine actors these days. Mm-hmm. And that is, I remember I was forced... I did not like church. I was forced to go to church, mm-hmm. my grandmother's church, and it would be interesting because they would pray for American forces and, and to yeah. safely bring them back and to do God's work. And I would wonder about this little girl, my, my, you know, my, my, my temporal twin at five years of age, and I was like, oh, so I would think to myself, uh, the zip code that you're born from is clearly very important to the religion of my grandmother. Okay. Uh, and so that didn't make sense. And yeah. so I also had a bigger picture besides physics, but us as, as humanity and how we yeah. work. Yeah. Wow. No, those are, those are some extremely deep questions, uh, extremely deep questions. And I know you're also an anomaly in the sense that um, not everybody who grows up with that kind of a household, you know, becomes a successful physicist. So uh, lots that goes in, there's, there's just a lot that goes in, that goes uh, into that. And obviously, you know, as, as we're sharing this story, it's both uh, shocking but it's also exciting, and I guess I'm not sure how, how how to take that. Like, how do we, how do I simultaneously hear about the 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 terrifying parts of your childhood, as well as the exciting parts of your motivation to understand the universe? So, my background has made me think a lot about how kids get through, and. Um, the other example, the other side, the other boundary condition, if you will, if as a physicist, I'm, we like to do boundary conditions in, in extreme cases, is um, my daughter. And so we moved to Los Alamos, New Mexico, when she was roughly two years old. And we went, uh, we stayed there through uh, when she was 10. And when we came back to Albuquerque, my wife took a, uh, a job with uh, the other nuclear weapons lab, uh, Los Sandia National Laboratories, and I've been with the Air Force uh, since that point. Um, and so when she was at Los Alamos, her, we had a brood of kids, roughly 28 kids at one point in our little neighborhood in a new area of town that had been rebuilt because of a, of a, of a giant fire. These were the children of, I remember my catty corner to us was the other lab attorney and their kids, and then other physicists, literally mathematicians and physicists, Italians we had, uh, from Peru we had, Costa Rica we had, uh, you know, a Russian up the neighborhood, you know, uh, and so it, it was this idyllic uh, place when, when you're young in Los Alamos, and she, she, this, is, this is the group that she, that she had. Um, so when, when we came down to Albuquerque, it, it just so happened that we're in the neighborhood with, that's uh, associated with, the, with the, uh, probably the best high school that's public here, La Cueva High School, and my daughter's peers became, coincidentally, the kids of the colonels who were running the place where I worked at. So, so they, these kids brought their military brat background. They've been to Europe. They've been to odd bases like Edwards Air Force Base out in the desert. And so this is what she grew up with. And, 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 and at times, I, the way I, I taught her and the way I've taught my son is I have a whiteboard and our little whiteboards that we put on our lap or the one in my office and I would always look for the glazed eyes. I would always go, okay. And as, as she learned more mathematics, geometry, well, I taught her about other geometries. As she learned about trig, I taught her more about trig. 
as she learned about calculus, well, what the hell, I, I, I went all for it. I went, well, here's a differential equation, here's a partial differential equation, here's how you separate variables, here's a Fourier transform, over years, not in a, in, in a, in a, in a, in a dump like that where, where it's all at once. And we talked about physics, and I, I love those years when she took biology and chemistry and, and physics two years and calculus two years. And, and, and you know, she, she thought she was going to be a physics major. She ended up going into ecology. She's very interested in climate change. And, and like I said, from day one in college, she, 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 you know, walked up to professors and professional societies and she got integrated. And now what she wants to do is have freshman awareness at her school or wherever she goes to it. She wants she wants to have outreach, to have the freshmen have you know be presented these options that they might not stumble on until they're juniors and they're looking for a project to graduate you know as seniors eventually. Nice, nice. So I'm I'm curious since your daughter specifically is interested in outreach, you know, and in saying what opportunities are there. Yeah. Does she do, does she isn't going to sound like a silly question, but but work with me here. Yeah. Does she have like a Twitter account that we could say follow her on Twitter at this? Because <laughs> mm. you know she might get some followers and people and she can. Answer I'm encouraging her, and she okay. might appear in one of our episodes. Okay. And she is there through Noah and other out. She's there, and I think they just put her up on the Facebook. What her work is done. Nice, nice. So at some point, I'm I'm sure she will. Okay, that's awesome. Wow. So I'm gonna try to go ahead and uh, and and and. Uh, digest what we've talked about so far again not to continue to bring up these difficult things but obviously you had a very very difficult childhood yet you were extraordinarily ambitious about something and you sought after it and and it turned out very very well for you and then from your success the experience that your daughter has had has been well entirely different for a variety of reasons here and and that's a good point and i i think that maybe 10% 10% of kids, uh, this, is not, this is a rough number, are the ones who are completely passionate and completely want to do this yeah. and hit roadblocks, whether it's economic roadblocks. And the point about my daughter is that she had an example space that was gigantic. We've traveled around mm-hmm. the world. Uh, her grandfather is one of the founding, fa- uh, founding fathers of medical physics. Hold on a second. Her grandfather was one of the founders of medical physics. What a cool term. We should do an episode about where that field has gone and where it's going. So in his time, you had a PhD in physics and you went into medicine, whether mm-hmm. it's MRI, whether it's ultrasound, whether it's radiation therapy. And wow. he got a, a, a big lifetime award uh, a few years back. He... Uh, through his influence, uh, made a, uh, an internship at Columbia Presbyterian Medical yeah. School up in, in New York City. So my daughter did an internship there. She did one here at the Mind Research Network with one, with one of my peer mathematician friends. And so she, there's a comfort zone. She's hung around these old fogey PhDs. And, and she, she's, you know, I remember being so intimidated by, yeah. by professors and Dr. Mm-hmm. So-and-so. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just regular they're just people, people for the most part. They're just people. Yeah. yeah. And, and so... What is it when you don't have those examples? I had this kind of, I'm an aberrant, I just get things done, and I was going to get this done, and, yeah. and, and, or die trying. There was a time when I nearly gave up. Yeah. There was a time when I thought, I, I went to grad school after getting my undergrad in physics, and I hit a brick wall. And it ended up being that the college that I went to is a liberal arts college, and yeah. I, I probably was a good junior, beginning, middle junior in physics up against people who, say, at University of Texas at Austin, who not only take their 
full load, mm -hmm. but have special sessions after to, to prep them for graduate school. Okay. So real quick, if we're going back to your story now, yeah. we are now talking about you're already in college, mm -hmm. so you're on your own now. So obviously the challenges you faced earlier on, you're no longer facing, but you now at your liberal arts college, you are not academically as prepared in physics as somebody else. Uh, and, who and, is, and, I, and I wasn't aware of that. And I, and I had to work for a living. So I, you know, I was yeah. tall. I, I lied. I worked at 7-Eleven type things with the fake ID. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 Fair enough. So I left. I left yeah. home. And I, I, t I started taking care of myself. Okay. Um, one of the topics that we'll get back to is, is some of the professors that helped me. Again, you know, the, the foreign influence. Yeah, okay. So, so again, if we're talking about our, our stories here, um, and again, uh, I want to stop interrupting you because I want to no, keep no, hearing your story. Please. But here, here's what I, I really like, and here's what I want to do as an open invitation on, on this podcast. Uh, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to share my story quite yet. I, I, I will share it, but later on. But obviously, I am very passionate as not only I have two degrees, I have almost two master's degrees, one of them in science education, and I also have a degree in electrical engineering. Why both? It's a long story. I was also a science teacher, but that was a disaster. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was a disaster. It was more like if you've ever seen Kindergarten Cop, you know, a story like that. Um, there are skills that I do have and there are skills that I do not have, or perhaps I should say do not have yet, but, but it, it was the most stressful time of my life. So I, I backed out of being a science teacher and I, I, I finished a master's in electrical engineering. Uh, there's more to, the, to those uh, details, but um, w one of the things that I've always loved always loved is sitting down and hearing people's stories, uh, especially those who uh, have a lot to say in science and technology and math, but also just about life in general. I like hearing people talk about challenges that they've faced and decisions they've made that make them unique. Now, where that applies to science and research, you just said that it's so cool to spend some time and just talk with people. Well, obviously not everybody is your daughter who has not only your support, but your influence, but anybody who finds this channel can simply watch. So what I look forward to doing is interviewing people who have something to say about research in science. And maybe people can be inspired just by someone that they might see on this show. Like maybe somebody doesn't know about the field of medical physics, you know? So what do you think? Some of the folks that your daughter has spoken to or other folks, let's get some scientists on this show and they can offer some direction to anybody who's curious. Oh, I think that's a wonderful idea, and we certainly have lots yeah. of contacts I to mean, do that. I mean, what's even being researched right now? You know, a lot of folks just think, well, science in general, it's just this word here. But let's talk about, you know, let's roll up our sleeves and really lay down a map for what are areas of research that some undergrads somewhere might want to consider, uh, you know, as they're thinking about these topics. So that's what excites me. I'm thrilled to be doing a podcast where we can talk to scientists about research ideas with the possibility of inspiring somebody out there. That's really cool to me, I think. so. I, I think it's a wonderful idea. It's also presenting what books are good out there. What saved me, literally saved yeah. me in the sense of academ academia, was I ran into, and back then it was not volumes one, two, and three, it was a tome. Yeah. And it was by uh, Morris Klein, I believe, is the, Klein is the author, and it was a history of mathematical thought from the ancient times to modern times, and I blew past the Egyptians and the Babylonians, I don't care. <laughs> They're cool. <laughs> oh, the ne next episode will be all the math of the Egyptians. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> and so we ended up, he ended up showing step by step how the birth of physics and calculus-based physics led to differential equations. And he, you know, he, he literally follows the ideas and how hard some of them were and how many decades some of them took all the way through roughly the 1930s. Mm -hmm. And it was eye-opening. It was 
oh, so uh, maybe I'm not dumb. Maybe my education You're is... You're not dumb. I, you know, for a while I thought maybe not... Maybe, maybe I'm limited, I thought. Maybe that's a bachelor's in physics from a liberal arts school is it. Mm-hmm. But with this book... It opened up in its literature. I was able to read, and I and I literally began teaching myself the equivalent. I would say of a master's in math and physics in many areas: mm-hmm. algebra, topology, algebraic topology, differential geometry, on and on. Over four years that I was in the Air Force, and so, you know, it, that's also what's influencing this program is that if you present things concisely and how they happened historically, you'll have a lot less confused. Yeah. Even successful people, even people that have gone and have had the greatest life and they got their PhD in physics and, and uh, you know, they've, uh, they've earned it or math, they typically walk out with huge gaps. And, and, and one of the aims of this podcast is to linearize that, make it compact. Physics is, is in mathematics are very compact. And, and, I, and here in this discussion, you know, you know, you're an engineer and there's a difference. Yes. You don't have to l- learn much about vacuum tubes. Correct. We're in a solid state era, and we talked about in a previous episode. Real quick, real quick, real quick. Let's, you know, for, for our, our audience here, uh, vacuum tubes. Uh, how, how do we explain what vacuum... I mean, some of you guys know what vacuum tubes are. But, they still you know. exist. Yeah. So vacuum tubes were the early ways to, to do what transistors do today. Okay, transistors, which are all over Switches, everything. Cell phones. Amplifiers. Yeah, computers. All computing is done through transistors. It's probably 10, 20 billion in this laptop. Yeah, 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 tons. So a vacuum tube then is an old school way. Um, right, they're little glass tubes. They get hot and they have filaments and they do various things. Ooh, fascinating topic actually. During the Cold War, where there was not communication between the East and the West, right. uh, we moved from vacuum tubes in the West to transistors. Well, on the East, they actually kept using vacuum tubes and they developed them further and further and further. Uh, I, I don't have the example here, but they they did some really hot shot stuff with just vacuum vacuum tubes um, that, you know, we became aware of only once the uh, Cold War was over. So actually, Viktor Balenko, Russian fighter pilot, MiG-25 pilot, I don't know what his beef was with Russia, but he left. Okay. And he brought us a MiG-25 and it was like filled with these advanced vacuum tubes. Wow. How about that? So that it was crazy? a shocker. Wow. It's like, it, 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 that's fascinating. That's kind of like how evolution works because at what point we thought we had improved we don't need them anymore, but then they make much, much, much better vacuum tubes. So, so we, so the, the, the derivative event to that, or derivative thinking after that was, are they preparing for an electromagnetic impulse war? Are they going to set off nukes in our atmosphere, take us out, and have vacuum tubes that are much more sturdy to that stuff? And so that was one of the progenitors of the internet. Oh wow! Oh, okay. <laughs> wait, wait. How how was that a progenitor of the internet? I'm not I'm not following that. Fiber one. optic cables or cables buried underground that can't be coupled to EMP. Oh wow! Okay. So. I think it was just because they couldn't do transistors. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but again, the way you say it, no, of course, you know, they were highly, they were so far advanced that they were even anticipating EMP pulses. That's what it was. It wasn't right, some, right. You know. They were geniuses. Yeah, well, they were. They're some really smart no, Russians. They're very good. And, and in the 1990s, we actually brought them over after after the the peace dividend thing happened. And, oh. And, 
That's another topic. Russians over to, to, to New Mexico. Speaking of bringing over nationals, you know, immigrants, yeah. that's a whole other topic, actually. And I, as a, as a uh, lieutenant, was a glorified Walmart uh, gopher. For them, I'd take them to our grocery stores, and they'd be bug-eyed. They'd be like, wow, look at these grocery stores. Wow. Um, and, and, and the way they were ahead of us was in, in high-powered microwave vacuum tubes, which are, are beasts. Yeah. And we were getting interested in that field. And this is, you know, way back 30, 30 years ago. Um, so what they were really good at doing, since they didn't have supercomputers, is they were good at solving problems by hand, by brute force. I imagine they would camp them out in Siberia and say, see you in three years and turn in as much work as you can. I'm just I'm kidding <laughs> on that, but yeah, we don't know. Wow. Uh, wow. So what I wanted to say about engineering was obviously we're past the time of vacuum tubes, 99.9%, .9%, right? Yeah. Uh, transmitters for radios and stations and TV stations might still use them. Yeah. Um, you, there's a lot of things. Uh, aerospace engineers today don't have to worry about assembling aircraft from rags and balsa wood and wireframes, right? That, yes. That's gone. I would not want a surgeon from 1920 uh, doing surgery on me. I would not want an open-heart surgeon from the 60s when they began doing it, doing open-heart surgery on me today. Yeah. So it's okay to, to, to forget the past. Physics and math are the exact opposite. If you know its history, it can be presented in a very compact way. All <sighs> physics theories, geometric, relative, general relativity, yeah. particle physics, which are internal symmetries, end up codified in algebraic topology in the field of fiber bundles. Yes. Wow. And then from there, you know, you have the ramifications, you know, let's look at this. This is, this is the E&M branch. This is the particle physics branch, the classical mechanics branch. Wow. And I think it's, it's, it's criminal. It's that you don't know that as a physicist and a mathematician, unless you get lucky and yeah. you go to the right school where there are a handful of people and some of them post on YouTube that give their students that. Why, why there's no drive to universalize that, to democratize that is beyond me. So anyways, that's one of my goals to do with, with you. That's a thrilling goal. Well, not only for this podcast, but man, let's, you know, network with other podcasters. Let's make that a thing because, I, you know, you bring up, a, uh, this is no offense to the field of physics. I'm sorry. Engineering, engineering. No offense to the field of engineering, but you're right. I didn't learn about vacuum tubes at all in my engineering degree. Well, that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because it, they say, well, you don't need to. You know what I mean? Like right. that's understood. But again, to uh, with physics and math and the fundamentals, you really gotta know the history. And this is also, you know, a, a theme that we were saying earlier in this video, where you were talking about these impossible tasks that look like you have these titans of mathematics and you know, you, you will never, ever, ever live up to their standards. Well, if you knew the history of how they got there, exactly. you, you know, you're not dumb. Oh, so, so anybody watching this video, you're not dumb. It's, it's, you don't know the shortcuts. You don't know the history that people Absolutely. had. And, you know, I, I felt dumb so many times in my engineering degree. I met people who, who were raised, uh, with with uh, engineering fathers and mothers. Neither my mother or my father were engineers. Uh, one of them was a nurse. The other was a physical therapist who loved science. But, you know, in terms of engineering, I was completely on my own. So, so you know, I, I spoke with people who had dads who were engineers who w worked with them all the time. And they could run circles around me. It was intimidating. Oh, my gosh, it was intimidating. But anyways, all that to say... There's a lot of people who want to reach out, and hopefully, hopefully, one of the things that we'll have some success with with, with this show is bringing scientists and engineers, you know, to the audience. Anybody who wants to watch the YouTube show and get some inspiration, and at least begin to know what questions to ask and know what resources are out and, there. And it starts young. It starts. Why not start in kindergarten? Why not, not really. proceed that way? 
And, and, and why is it that we present, you know, things like simple harmonic motion and springs in the dullest possible way? You know, we, we've talked about this. There's yeah. it quickly, you know, the, the most boring thing, like a spring and a harmonic oscillator, quickly becomes living if you think yeah. about, well, how do we know what the sun has made out of different layers? Well, because different layers of different densities and, and the sun is always shaking and yeah. through its resonances we figure out oh it's an onion you know it's, it looks yeah. like an onion and many other stars like that we know so it enriches our understanding of stars um at the atomic level is it a good it's a decent model yes of of of, of, of the electrons orbiting the, the nucleus other than that it takes discrete jumps we can connect that to crime and to the, the, the popular tv show from a few years ago i forgot the name of it where you look at chemicals and you go okay you know, because of the spring can only do these oscillations, that must be this poison. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, that's, you know, science makes for some outstanding material for detective shows, actually. Cutting-edge science. So and and then connecting, connecting human history with uh, climate change, you know, yeah. and how we're all tied together and how yes. the poor countries are going. You know, you had your time to be carbon polluters rich countries now it's our turn to be carbon polluters so 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 buzz off yeah you know, it, it, it's it's good to understand the complexity of, of whole systems uh, and not just in pieces oh, totally. and i think when you when you talk that way you if most people will, will engage you and 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 suddenly be inspired maybe to to, to to go forward yeah 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 so so i did this before and i also did it in the middle but mm-hmm. i also do it again now i'm talking about the, this episode so essentially this episode is a little bit of a why are we here? And, uh, you know, we, we talked about our own struggles, uh, but also our own passionate desire. I didn't really say my story so much. That's fine. That's fine. We'll save my story for another episode, right? Yes. But, um, yeah. Um, but essentially, you know, this is why we're here. We are very passionate about science and math and about humanity as a whole and about questions that relate to our identity. And, and we're, we're, we especially want to make resources for people who may not have re- resources. It's impossible, impossible to tell if somebody is going to be successful. It very likely would have been that you or your sister weren't successful, you know, given your background, you were. And the question remains, who out there right now is in a similar situation that Alex was in, or, or that I was in, even though we didn't get into me yet, who just by virtue of hearing this story or a similar story might might have some success. That's kind of what, what, what we, want, we want to do here. So that's, that's you know, some really exciting stuff. Um, I do want to mention real quick that um, having gone through an undergraduate and a graduate program in physics, Alex has written a multiple paper. Actually, I, I was going to say a paper, multiple papers, multiple papers. These get really mathy. So, so this really probably is more pertinent to those uh, undergraduate physics students out there. But you have... have, have done the laborious task of going through these intense books and written a how the hell to understand these intense books. You want to real quick plug some of the papers that that you've written that are available right now. If you look in the comment section, I'm not even selling something here. This is for free. <laughs> free stuff here. This is knowledge being dropped on you from Dr. Alex Alanese. So I have truly been to war with many books and unraveled I threw away thousands of pounds of book when I left Los Alamos I mean trying to thread history together because no one wrote it down in a nice way so so the notes one of the ones I, I just checked on it it's on ResearchGate and if you have a ResearchGate account you can get to my papers for free or or, or, the, or through other means is I've 
in a few weeks, I've collected over 2,000 reads on these step-by-step uh, notes on no kidding how we got from classical physics uh, to quantum mechanics and how quantum mechanics, you know, in, in, in the right limits fall back to the classical formulations. And there are many such formulations. You're right. These are probably good for, for juniors, seniors in college, physics, math, uh, first-year graduate students, even people who finished their, their doing their postdocs and like to unravel the, the, their own field. And so I have them on mathematics, on group theory, partial differential equations, et cetera. And so they're out there, and I'm hoping that they're the basis of finishing courses at some point for math and physics majors at, at the bachelor level and master's and PhD levels. Yeah. So you, you've written a lot. You know, this is just sort of like... Uh, instead of going through and creating your own trail, you sort of blaze a trail that others might want to see. And again, that, that's mostly those who are at the graduate level who want to see some intense physics papers. So that's exciting. So yeah, so we've got a whole lot for you. So I also want to say, uh, as a viewer of this program, I asked this question on my Facebook wall. I don't know if anybody watched it, but I asked this question, who were your favorite science teachers and why? So if you want to go ahead and share that that with us, we'd love to talk about it on our, on our next podcast. Uh, I also sent a question out um, where I not only expanded on your favorite science teachers, but your favorite science YouTubes. There's a lot of fantastic science YouTube shows out there as well, and I wanted to take a minute here and talk about them. Uh, there's a Discord, a Discord server, and actually I'm a member of the Discord server for the channel Genetically Modified Skeptic, and I contribute to that Discord uh, sometimes. So let me see if I can find the answer. Oh, uh, give me a second. Dun, dun, dun. It might be a minute. What are you looking for? Oh, uh, we had a recommendation for YouTube shows, okay. uh, for science shows. So I was going to share a few of those. And this was anything else that we wanted to. So, so while, while Gabriel is searching, um, you know, w- one of the things that, in, in a condensed way, that I wanted to, to to talk about is, you know, someone says that luck, how lucky you are, is really a function of how much preparation you've done, how many things you've you've tried, mm-hmm. at times the opportunities, and and so if you've done a lot of preparation and groundwork, you know, or you've had a lot of examples, like in my daughter's case then opportunity is going to strike. And, and I, I believe that luck, therefore, is, is probably proportionate to your background and how, how enriched or poor your background may have been given circumstances. Yeah. Now, Alex, I know that you like to model things mm-hmm. and you really like mathematics. Would you say that you have written, say, a mathematical formula that describes success? Why, certainly not. You have not? No. What are you talking I'm about? Well, I wrote yeah. one. Okay, please, I did please, one. Please inform so, us. So, so check it out. I'm going to share this with you. Tell me what, what, what you think. Now, right. imagine this. So success is going to be 10% luck, 20% skill. I'd say 15% concentrated power of will. Sounds good. 5% pleasure, 50% pain, and 100% reason to remember the name. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's totally from a rap song. Um, Fort Minor, uh, remember the name. So I just... That's a, I think I, that's, a, that's I, a good beginning. Yeah, I planned that joke all week, you guys. <laughs> so <laughs> cool, cool. So yeah. Well, I guess uh, we'll end this episode. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you want to talk about the Martians and for and we'll wrap back to? Okay, real quickly, uh, there is one example uh, of uh, four physicists that were brilliant. They were so brilliant that they were referred to as others as the Martians. Now they have a unique background and a unique education that applies to them. So we'd like to talk about their story and why they are the way they are. Alex, I'll let you go ahead and so, take so this So very one. briefly, the Martians was attributed to Hungarian, which is a, apparently a really difficult language. These were kids at the time 
Uh, Eugene Wigner, future Nobel Prize winner in physics for group theory, group and pest that it wasn't liked. He was identified by his high school teacher, um, uh, Laszlo Ratz, who was a brilliant mathematician and, and, and took Eugene Wigner in and, and, and tutored him and mentored him and, and, and probably made him the, the reason that he succeeded. Uh, Johnny von Neumann of the von Neumann computer today, that was the, the next kid who went through this high school and also got mentored and, and built up. The other two are Leo Szilard, whom is the famous physicist sitting next to Einstein writing the letter to President Roosevelt going, mm -hmm. we better make atom bombs before the Germans do. And the fourth one was Edward Teller, who mm -hmm. was the father of the American hydrogen bomb. These were the four Martians, or as other Martians, if you look up Martians in Wikipedia, but these are the principal Martians. And we're talking about brain drains in this case. Hitler and his Nazi uh, uh, you know, political system with getting and getting, purifying the races forced these scientists to end up here working on our atom bomb project here uh, 100 miles from Los Alamos. Amongst them, Enrico Fermi, who made the first nuclear reactor in Chicago, um, Lisa Meitner, who she figured out that, that, that bombs are possible and passed that on to Niels Bohr, who ended up here. And so there is this, you know, function of losing your best people when you have nationalism and when you have uh, anti-foreign, you know, approaches right now. The United Kingdom is looking for three million. It, uh, up to, it will accept up to three million people from Hong Kong as China rolls in. Wow! And so they're going to have that brain drain. So yeah, that's a very interesting one. And we bring that up because I know that part of politics, uh, always part of it, is one issue is is immigration. And, exactly. Uh, it's a very very deep issue. I don't. I don't think we have time to go into all of it here. But um, I think that our success in World War II was specifically because we we took on on an influx of scientists during that time. So that, you know, the contributions of others is something to certainly be considered with immigration. You don't want to be too uh, you don't want to leave out very talented individuals who can bring a lot to your culture and to your society. I, I suppose and 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 I and I'm going to say this in, in not not so much in jest that you know, I'm my mother was born in Mexico. My father's family was born in Mexico. I mean, I, I might scare you. I might, you know, you might think I'm trying to rape you because the president of the United States says that that's what, what Mexicans might do. Yep. Um, not so cool. Not a cool not comment. Not cool. Um, and, you know, I wonder what the world would be like. Um, I, I, I hope that I'm contributing to this country. I hope that I'm, a, I'm part of it. And like my friend in, in Houston who's making the COVID technology. Yeah, he's an immigrant as well. We're causing things to progress forward. Yeah. Where's he from? He's from Italy. Wow. Okay. Io parlo italiano. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I speak because I, I already spoke as a child, but with him in graduate school, I just went at full adult uh, Italian. Yeah. Very so, cool. Very cool. All right. So, yeah. all right. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us on this episode. A few things here. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please leave them in the comments section. We love interaction. If you enjoy what we do, please share this video. Uh, we, we, we love it. We want, we want to increase our interaction with society, with, with, with everybody. We, we, we want to bring science to, to, to the people and we want to get people engaging in really deep questions about science and about culture and about who we are. So please like and, and, and share. And uh, if you want to support us, we also have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash touring rabbit holes, uh, that would be outstanding as well. We're looking for ways to hire creative people to make some posters for us and some great videos and things like that. So I think that's all I have on my end. 
It's all I have too, and and please do comment, and then we we will get back to them yeah. to you. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. Yeah. Bye bye.